Look at this, there's a stool up here. If you don't behave, we have you come up here and sit by me. Okay. Okay, today we are going to continue in our faith series uh, over the Epistle of James, uh, the half-brother of Jesus. Uh, now, my, my brief recap is going to be exceptionally brief today, but uh, James wrote this letter to believers uh, who were once Jews, who were scattered throughout Palestine, who were being heavily persecuted and dealing with uh, a lot of temptations that were being thrown at them from, uh, from the other side, if you will. Uh, and so he wrote this letter to him to try to encourage them to continue to stand strong in their faith. But last week, James mentioned something, and I want to talk about that this week. Last week, James made a bold statement uh, that we're going to look at over the next two weeks, and it was this, James 20, uh, I'm sorry, James 2, starting in verse 20. He says, but are you willing to recognize, you foolish fellow, that faith uh, without works is what? Useless. Useless. Okay, thanks, all one of you. That faith without works is what? Useless. Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up Isaac his son on the altar? You see that faith was working with his works, and as a result of the works, faith was perfected. And the scripture was, uh, was fulfilled which said, And Abraham believed God, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness, and he was called the friend of God. You see that a, man's, uh, that a man is justified by works and not by faith alone. In the same way, was not Rahab the harlot also justified uh, by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way. For just as the body without the spirit is dead, so also faith without works is dead. So the crux of this statement, I mean the crux of that statement, is, is the uh, amazing examples of faith we see in three people. The first two were Abraham and Isaac, okay? And the third was a woman named Rahab. Now we're going to spend some time over the next two weeks unpacking their lives a little bit. And I'm, I can't do all of it, and we're just going to do, you know, you know, bits and pieces, highlight reels, if you will. Uh, but I want you to understand why he chose those people to use as examples here. So we're going to discover um, uh, some, a lot of stuff. We're going to discover a lot about their faith, and we'll see that uh, when you understand what faith really is and what it can do, you'll understand how powerful it is. So Abraham, Isaac, uh, and Rahab we're going to be looking at, and they all displayed amazing faith that should inspire us. So I titled today's message, Amazing Faith. So let's jump right in. That took longer than I wanted. Okay, we're going to be in Genesis quite a bit, if you want to know. We'll be, just follow along. But uh, Abraham married a woman, and her name was Sarah, whom he loved very, very much. But she was barren. She couldn't have children. Genesis eleven twenty nine. 29. Uh, Abram, now I'm going to say Abram a lot because his name does change to Abraham, but we're just going to make it easy. But Abram and Nahor took wives for themselves. The name of Abram's wife was Sarah, uh, and the name of Nahor's wife was Milcah, the daughter of Haran, uh, the father of Milcah and Iscah. Uh, Sarah, or Sarai I hear, was barren. She had no child. Now, this was a serious issue in that time. It was a very serious issue because in that culture, having a son, I mean, a child was a blessing to anybody, even to them, but especially a son in that era because having a son gave you an heir so that you could carry on your name and, and carry on your legacy. It was very, very important uh, to have a son, and she could not have children. Right? So this had to be really, really tough on her because she knew that the one thing that every man wanted from their wife was a son at that, in that culture. But he loved her despite the fact that she was, she was barren. And despite that fact, God said he was still going to give him an heir. So look at Genesis 15, starting in verse 1. It said, After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram, or Abraham, in a vision, saying, Do not fear, Abram. Uh, I am a shield for you. Your reward shall be very great. Abram said, O Lord, what will you give me, since I am childless, and, there, uh, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. That was one of his servants. Um, 
Verse 3, And Abram said, Since you have given no offspring to me, one born in my house is my heir. Then, behold, the word of the Lord came to him, saying, This man will not be your heir, but one uh, who will come forth from your own body, he shall be your heir. Uh, and he took him outside and said, Now look towards the heavens and count the stars, if you are able to count them. And he said to him, So shall your descendants be. Then he believed in the Lord, and he reckoned it to him as righteousness. So understandably, I mean, Sarah was, was very troubled about not being able to give Abraham a son. And I get it, especially in that culture. So out of desperation, she makes a decision that it was a bad decision, but not just a bad decision. This one would have serious consequences that wouldn't just affect their lives. It would affect the world for the rest of eternity. I mean, into eternity, it would affect the entire world. This is one of the worst decisions ever made in the scriptures. Okay, Sarah asked Abraham to marry and have a child with one of her servant girls. Okay, and I see that look. Some of you guys are going, hmm. <laughs> I'm saying it, it was not a good idea, right? And so Abraham, after much contemplation, I think Abraham jumped at the chance because he wanted a son. But Abraham listened to her, and, and he married uh, this handmaid or this maid of hers, which was named Hagar, and she became pregnant, right? And soon after she became pregnant, I, I can't believe Abraham didn't see this coming. But soon after this, this Hagar, this maid, becomes pregnant, Sarah gets jealous. How did, I mean, ladies, do you see any reason for her to be jealous? You know, she couldn't have a, a child, and she gives him a handmaid, and she has a child for him immediately. So she was very jealous of Hagar, and she started treating her harshly, is what the Bible says. Basically, she was being mean to her, because she was jealous of her, basically. She started being really, really mean toward her, so much so that Hagar actually ran away. She feared Sarah. She was afraid what Sarah would do to her. She was being so mean to her, so she, she kind of ran away. But not long after she ran away, Hagar encountered an angel. So look at this, Genesis 16, starting in verse 7. It says, Now the angel of the Lord, you might want to underscore that, that's going to come up again. Now the angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water uh, in the wilderness by a spring on the way to Shur. And he said, Hagar, Sarai's maid, we have, uh, we have, I'm sorry, I'm blowing this. <laughs> he said, Hagar, Sarah's maid, where have you come from and where are you going? And she said, I am fleeing from the presence of my mistress, Sarah. Then the angel of the Lord said to her, return to your mistress and submit yourself to her authority. Moreover, the angel of the Lord said to her, I will, underscore that, I will greatly multiply your descendants that they uh, will be too many to count. The angel of the Lord said to her further, behold, you are with child and you will bear a son and you shall call his name Ishmael because the Lord has given heed to your affliction. Uh, he will be a wild donkey of a man. Now listen to this. This is really, really important. Underscore this if you have your Bibles. Remember this. Verse 12 is huge. He says, he will be a wild donkey of a man. Okay? His hand will be against what? Everyone. Think about this. His hand will be against everyone, and everyone's hand will be against him. And he will live to the east of all his brothers. Well, this is huge. We'll come back to it. So after she encounters this angel... She does what he says, and she heads back to the camp, and she did give birth to a son. And when she gave birth to that son, Abraham was 86 years old. I am 50. I'm excited about having a grandchild. I would never want to have my own child again at 50. Just saying. All right, he must have had some great vitamins. But Abraham was 86 when his first son was born, 86 years old. 
And they named that son Ishmael, which in Hebrew means God hears, right? Now, 13 years later, when Abraham was 99 years old, now I know they did live to be a little bit longer at this time, but don't get mistaken, this isn't the times of Methuselah. This was still stinking old, okay? 99 was still really old. I'm just going to throw that out there. They lived a little longer, but, I mean, he was not, you know, in tennis club. So anyway, so 13 years later, when he was uh, 99 years old, God spoke to him once again. And God reminded Abraham of his promise that he made. He said, listen, I promised you I would make you the father of many nations, right? And then God told him, listen, in these nations, we're going to have great nations are going to come out of this son of yours, and great kings are going to come out of this lineage that you have. And one of those kings would be none other than the king of kings. Jesus Christ was going to come through that lineage. So God said that he was going to make a covenant with him, a sign covenant, uh, the, between him and Abraham and all of his descendants. And that sign covenant was that God told Abraham to circumcise every man in their home. That meant not just uh, sons or, or relatives, this meant even servants. They all had to be circumcised as, a, as a, a sign that he had a covenant with God. Now, what Abraham didn't know was that what he had done with Hagar was going to come back to bite him. Okay, because he was about to reap everything he sowed with her. See, there's so many times that we do things we know God doesn't want us to do, and because we've gotten away with it for a while, we think we've gotten away with it. But that's not how God works, okay? Now look at this. Uh, Genesis 17, starting in verse 15. Then God said to Abraham, as, as for Sarah, your wife, you shall not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. I will bless her, and indeed I will give you a son by her. Okay, Sarah's 90 this time. And I will give you a son by her, then I will bless her, and she will be a mother of nations. Kings of peoples will come from her. Then Abraham fell on his face and what? And laughed. <laughs> I think that's funny. All right, it says, then Abraham fell on his face and laughed and said in his heart, will a child be born to a man 100 years old? And will Sarah, who is 90 years old, bear a child? I mean, he laughed when he heard that. It would be like going into a nursing home and wheeling a guy out and saying, oh yeah, you're going to father a child. And that lady in the other nursing home over there in that wheelchair, she's going to have it for you. You know what I mean? It was that ironic. Verse 18, then Abraham said to God, oh, that Ishmael might live before you. But God said, no, but Sarah, your wife, will bear you a son, and you shall call his name Isaac, and I will establish my covenant with him for an everlasting covenant uh, for his descendants after him. Now, as for Ishmael, I have heard you. Behold, I will bless him. And make him fruitful, and will multiply him exceedingly. He shall become the father of twelve princes, and I will make him a great nation. But my covenant I will establish with Isaac, whom Sarah will bear you at this, uh, at this season next year. When he finished talking with him, God went up from Abraham. Now, it's funny how the devil is always copying God. Okay, there are the twelve tribes of Israel, right? Ishmael became the father of the twelve Arab nations. Okay, coincidence? I don't think so. But I'm just saying there's a lot more than that. But anyway, so Abraham found out something about God in this encounter. He found out that, listen, God is going to do exactly what he said he's going to do. But he's only going to do it when he's ready to do it. He's going to do it in his time and his time only. And where Abraham got off the tracks was he tried speeding up God's promise here by marrying and having a child with Hagar. Okay, he was going to, you know, give God a hand because evidently God was busy and must have forgot about him right? But here's something people forget. God never intended for someone to have more than one spouse at a time. God never intended for that. 
not from the very beginning of time. If I had more time, I'd take you to Matthew 19 where Jesus talks about it. But I'm telling you, it was never right. Even the patriarchs in the Bible that did it, it was never right. And if you study those patriarchs in the Bible, every time they had another wife or more than one wife, the wives beyond the one they first married is where all the trouble came from in their lives. Okay, because God just wasn't going to bless that, right? So Abraham tried speeding it up, and, and he married uh, and had a child with another woman. Now, bigamy has always been a sin, but it was accepted in this culture at that time. And that's probably how Abraham, you know, made his conscience okay with this whole thing. He probably justified it by saying, well, yeah, God doesn't say it's right, but I mean, everybody in the culture is okay with it. I'm sure God can still, you know what I mean? I don't know how he justified it. That's what I'm thinking. It was, it was socially and culturally acceptable at that time. But here's the thing we have to remember. God's commands don't change just because this evil world changes. I don't, I, have you ever heard people say that? Well, I don't, I don't know if I want to read the Bible. It's been a long time since that was written. It was a long time ago. A lot of things have changed. I'm like, oh yeah, well, too bad it wasn't inspired by, you know, the creator of everything that knows everything, but, you know. But here's the thing, we're, God doesn't change because the world changes. You know, God's people are supposed to help change the world. They're not supposed to be changed by it. We don't have to change because they change. So God wasn't going to accept it just because the world did. So Abraham should have known that when he did that, when he took on that extra wife, that it was going to be breaking God's law and it wasn't going to end well. So when God comes to Abraham this next time, he's 99 or 100, right at that age, and Sarah's 90, and God says, she's going to have a son. She's going to bring you a son. And Abraham literally laughs at God, which is never a good practice, right? Unless he's telling you a joke, that's not a good practice, right? Because he's like, he said what we would say. I'm 100. Seriously? Do I look like the king of romance right now? You know? I'm going to have, look at her. You know what I mean? She's over there cleaning her false teeth. I'm like, you know, <laughs> do you really think she's going to be able to have a child? He literally laughed at that thought. Then he did something strange. He pleaded that God would allow Ishmael to be that son of the promise. He said, well, listen, why don't, why don't you just use, why don't you just use Ishmael? You know, he's a, he's a good kid. Why don't you use him? Let him be a child of that promise. But that was never the case. God didn't make that promise about Hagar and Ishmael. As a matter of fact, when God promised Abraham that he would have a son with Sarah, when he said he would have a son that had descendants that would go on and would be numbered like the stars of the sky, Hagar and Ishmael weren't even in the picture when that promise was made. That promise was made for Isaac. Okay, the only, they shouldn't even have been in the picture. The only reason they were even an issue was because Abraham sinned. Had Abraham done what God wanted and been patient and waited on God, not only would they have not have been a problem, they wouldn't even have existed, okay? Because this wasn't supposed to happen, right? So he says, no, you can't, I can't do that, right? Now, sure enough, when Abraham was about 100 and Sarah was about 90, in the same time that next season, they did have that son. I don't know about you. This is just my morbid imagination, but can you imagine a 90-year-old pregnant woman? I mean, ladies, was pregnancy hard in your 20s? Try it in your 90s, okay? I can't even imagine, right? But she does have this son that's, that was prophesied to happen, uh, and they did name him uh, Isaac. So they did exactly what they were supposed to do. And soon after, uh, Sarah asked Abraham the inevitable question, which was bound to happen now that she had a son. She's like, listen, will you get rid of him? Make him leave. I don't want you to kill him or anything, but run, get him out of here. I don't want to walk around looking at that reminder of what I did wrong. 
Now, I don't agree with what Abraham did here, but he listened to, he listened to her. And he sent him away. He just sent him away. I'm sure he compensated him well. He was very wealthy, but he sent him away. And just like the angel prophesied, Ishmael did become a leader of many great nations. Okay, a lot of great nations. And all those nations, just like the angel said, are hated and hate everyone and are constantly at war with each other uh, and, and everyone else, really. And all of them hate Israel to this day. And let me name some of those nations, not all of them. But here's some of the nations that came out of Ishmael. And this shouldn't be offensive because they believe this too. Uh, Saudi Arabia, Iraq, Iran, Syria. You know, all those peace-loving nations came from, that's awful, from, from Ishmael. And all those nations hate Israel. Hate them, and they're always at war, constantly. Have you ever noticed that whenever there's a war, one of those nations, or one of the Arabic nations, is usually involved? So this prophecy came true, and so now not only did Abraham's bad decision affect he and his wife in Israel, now it affects everybody, and still is affecting us to this very day. This is where a lot of the radical Islam came from, okay? So uh, this is unbelievable, but now this is kind of a brief, you know, story of Abraham up to this point, but you're going to see, you can see reasons why his faith became so strong in the things that happened to him. Uh, but what happens next with him and Isaac? But what's going to happen, what I'm about to share with you, proved that his faith had really, really grown. Okay? Genesis 22, starting in verse 1. Now, it came about that after these things that God tested Abraham. He didn't say tempted. God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. He said, take now your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains uh, of which I will tell you. So Abraham rose early uh, in the morning and saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him uh, and his son Isaac, and he split the wood for the burnt offering and, the, and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. So Abraham waited 100 years to have his promised son. 100 years. And this was probably 30-some... Everybody gives you a bunch of different ages for... Uh, for uh, Isaac, but some people say he's a teenager or he was in his 20s because they use the word lad sometimes. The word lad in Hebrew could be anywhere from 13 to 40. Okay, so it didn't mean somebody small. But at this time, and I'm not going to go into all these details, which is so tempting, I, he was in his 30s. Okay, Isaac was in his 30s, so that means that Abraham was in his 130s. Okay, now, we know Abraham dies at 137, so Isaac couldn't have been older than 37, but he was in his 30s, okay? He was in his 30s at this time, and that's going to make sense to you uh, here in a little bit. So just imagine he waited all this time for this son, and now God comes and says, you know that son I gave you that you waited 100 years for? I need you to sacrifice him. I need you to kill him as an offering to me. I, I, just, I need you to do that. Now, here's when we see evidence of how Abraham developed this amazing faith that James was talking about. Here's where we see that evidence, because Abraham never even questioned God's orders. Do you notice that? He never said, why? He never said, well, you know, I, why don't you use Ishmael now? <laughs> he didn't do any of that. He didn't say anything. He didn't even question. He just obeyed him. He just obeyed him. Uh, see, Abraham learned through his troubles with Hagar and Ishmael that it's best just to trust God in any circumstance because what he's telling you is going to work out to your advantage. So he learned that, and you can see because he didn't even question, he just moved. God said move, and he moved. 
Abraham knew something I wish every believer today would understand. He knew something that just, I wish so bad we would get a grasp on, and that is no one has ever experienced God's best by questioning his word or questioning his will. No one ever gets the best out of God questioning him. It just doesn't happen. It doesn't work that way. I wish we thought like that. When God tells us to do something, you ever notice we bat it around in our mind, and, and if God's put it on our heart, we pray and say, are you sure, God? And then we pray again, well, are you sure, God? And it's still bugging you, and, and you talk to somebody, and they say, well, you should probably do it. Well, I'm still kind of praying about it because, you know, I'm not sure if I'm comfortable with it. And the whole time, God's going, listen, I've already told you what to do. See, like Abraham, we should just say, okay, I'll do it. That's something I wish we would, we would wrap our heads around. See, here's the thing people don't, don't realize. The difference between dead and living faith is living faith always turns into action. See, God desperately wants to do amazing things in every believer's life every day. You know, he, it wasn't his idea to just have a few people like Moses and Abraham that he did great things through. He wanted to do it through all of us. But to do so, believers have to believe and have enough faith in God to do what he says, to act on his word, right? And Abraham displayed living faith here that James said we're talking about in a big way because here he literally just listened and did what God asked him to do he didn't ask for details nothing like that he just knew if God asked you to do something there's a good reason so you should probably just do it right now listen this has happened to me many many times when God has put something on my heart and for one reason or another I don't do it and then believe me later you will say I wish I would have done this have you ever heard somebody say I wish I would have done this when I was younger and they've got an amazing ministry. They probably could have. They probably put God off that long. That's probably why they're at the place they're at, right? So Abraham wasn't like that. At this point, his faith was just about perfected. He was listening to God at this point. He didn't need any details. God, you told me to do it. I'm going to do it. He just knew that God was going to always keep his word. Now, how often do we wait? I mean, how often do we wait for God to give us every detail? Every little detail. I've got to know, how many people in here are detail-oriented people? You better raise your hand, Michelle. Okay, let's say, detail-oriented people are awesome to have work for you, awesome to run places. They don't miss much anything. But if you want something quick done, that might not be the person to go to because they're going to look at every aspect and make sure it makes sense. They're going to put all the pieces together. They're going to double-check it, triple-check it. They usually don't make a ton of mistakes because of that, but that hurts us when it comes to God. You know, God says, you know, I, since I created everything and you, since I gave you eternal life free of charge through the sacrifice of my son, maybe you should just realize that I'm omniscient and you're not. And if I'm asking you to do something, there's a really, really good reason. And if you trust me and do what I ask at the right time, you'll see the blessing and why I told you to do that. And as we're going to soon see, I mean, hesitating when God speaks may cause us to miss his absolute best because Abraham did not hesitate. And let's take a look at what happened. So as Abraham and Isaac and the entourage they have with them, they saw their destination come, and here's where you really get to see his faith shine. Genesis 22, 4. It says, On the third day Abraham raised his eyes and saw a place from a distance. Or saw the place from a distance. Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey, and I and the lad, remember, that doesn't mean kid, but I and the lad will go over there. Now listen, here's what's important. And we will worship and what? And return to you. Does that sound strange? He says, me and my son, we're going to go worship. You guys wait here, and then we'll come back to you. We'll return to you. Verse 6, Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. Being 130-some, probably made carrying firewood pretty tough. Okay, so he's got this young, healthy, strapping son. He, he straps the wood to his son, and his son carries the wood 
that he's going to be sacrificed on up this hill. Seeing any pictures forming here? Uh, and he took in his hand the fire and the knife, so the two of them walked together. Isaac spoke to Abraham, his father, and said, My father, and he said, Here I am, my son. And he said, Behold the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? That is one of the saddest statements in Scripture to me at that point. He had no idea at this point what was happening. And he says, Where's the burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself uh, the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. So the two of them walked together. So notice, Abraham said, we're going to go and come back. We are going to come back to you. Let's read that again. Abraham said to his young man, stay here with the donkey, and I and the lad will go over there, and we will worship and return to you. Now, why did he say that? Was he changing his mind? Was he actually trying to think of a way to maybe on the way there pray his way out of that mess? Or maybe he was thinking that, uh, you know, well, maybe... If, if we pray together, you know, he would, no, it wasn't any of those things. When you see that, you're thinking, why would he say that? Well, it all becomes obvious as we go on throughout the story. But the reason he said that was he was fully and completely convinced he was going to kill his son. That was not a question ever in his mind. He was going to do that. But he remembered that God promised him descendants through Isaac. And Isaac hadn't had any at this point. And he knew that God always keeps his word. So the reason he said that was he truly believed that after he killed Isaac, God would raise him from the dead and allow him to have children. He believed that. So much so that he was willing to kill the son of the promise that he loved and waited a hundred years to get. That's how confident he was in God. And like Abraham, I, believers should always be confident and expect God to keep his promises. I just wish, I wish we were more confident in God's promises. That drives me crazy, but most believers like uh, the younger version of Abraham, we're impatient. And if God doesn't do things our way, we'll skip his promises and we'll create our own destiny. That's, that's the way it works, right? But look what that did for Abraham when he tried to help God get him to his destiny quicker. We ended up with the nations that hate Israel and the world more than anyone ever, any nation ever created, right? If God thinks it's not the right time, it's not the right time. And Abraham found out how, how damaging it can be not to believe that. Can you imagine how different the world would be if people just trusted God? Do you think we'd be in the mess we're in now if people just trusted God? I mean, if people would do what God asked, we, our nation would not be struggling like it's struggling right now, right? But I just, I can't imagine getting to a point like this where Abraham's faith was so solid he was willing to do something like this. Here's the thing, though. In order for us to keep God's promises, we've got to know him. People say, well, I wish God would come down and speak to me. Then I'd do what he asked. He does speak to you. You've got a better situation than Abraham had. Because Abraham got to hear from God here and there. You see, we get 66 books that sit on our desks, that sit on our coffee tables, our end tables, by our bedsides. We have 66 books of God speaking we can look at anytime we want to. And the words we read are just as powerful. Look at the 2 Timothy 2.15 says, Be diligent to present yourself approved to God as a workman who does not need to be ashamed, accurately handling the word of truth. Now, Let's get back into this. Genesis 22, 9. Here's where it gets really awesome. Starting in verse 9, it says, Then they came to the place of which God had told him, and Abraham built the altar and there, uh, there and arranged the wood, and bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Abraham stretched out his hand and took his knife to slay his son. So we'll stop there for a cliffhanger. Okay. Now, one thing I think gets overlooked when we read this story. We talk about Abraham's great faith. We talk about the miracle of Sarah giving birth. But one thing I think that gets overlooked here is the faith of Isaac. 
Isaac had amazing faith. His faith was just as amazing as Abraham. Remember, Isaac was likely, you know, between 30 and 37, right? Some have even, you know, guessed that he was 33, Hmm. but he was between 30 and 37. And Abraham was 130-something. He couldn't even carry the wood for the burnt offering. Isaac had to. So how would a 130-some-year-old man wrestle a 30-some-year-old man down and tie him to an altar? The answer is, he didn't. He didn't. Isaac had to have volunteered to lay on that altar and be sacrificed. Because it would have been impossible for Abraham to force him on that altar, right? Isaac had to allow that to happen because he believed in God's promises also. Now, I'm, there's something, you know, I have a theory that I want to I talk about, about Isaac's participation in his own sacrifice here. And I admit I can't 100% prove this theory, but hear me out, it makes sense if you listen to it, okay? Now, I think that during that alone time when they were walking up that hill, you know, he asked him, you know, we have the wood, we have the fire, where's the burnt offering? And he says, God will provide. I believe that conversation continued. I believe Abraham told Isaac everything. I believe he told him everything God had asked him to do. Because think about it. Abraham had probably raised Isaac knowing all of God's promises that he had made. I mean, Isaac had probably been told a hundred times that God had big plans for his future and how there were going to be great nations that came out of him. And he also believed God, right? He had to believe God, or he would not have allowed Abraham to tie him to that altar. And like Abraham, Isaac allowed that because he believed God's promises so much, I think he believed that God would raise him from the dead just as much as Abraham did. Or he wouldn't have laid down and allowed him to to bind him on that altar, right? And so that's something people skip, I think. Okay, so here's where we're at. Abraham has him tied to an altar, and wood underneath him so he can burn him when he's done. And he's already pulled his knife back and is ready to kill his son. All right, now in verses 11 through 14, Abraham and Isaac learned the lesson God wanted them to learn from this test. So look at verse 11, Genesis 22. But the angel of the Lord, there's that phrase again, underscore that. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. Does it seem like a pretty peaceful answer when you're about to kill your son? Yeah, what's up? You know, I, I, another sermon, just saying. Here I am, verse 12. He said, do not stretch out your hand against the lad and do nothing to him. For now I know that you fear God, since you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. Then Abraham raised his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him a ram caught in the thicket by his horns. That, a thicket is a, is a patch of thorns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered him up for a burnt offering in the place of his son. Abraham called the name of that place the Lord will provide, as it is said to this day, in the mountain of the Lord it will be provided. Now look at that. It says he raised his, raised his eyes and he saw a ram caught in the thicket by his horns. That is going to be so important. So as Abraham's about to kill his son, the angel says, stop. Don't do that. Now a lot of people say, why did God need Abraham to prove that to him? He didn't. God knew exactly what was going to happen. He knew exactly how powerful Abraham's faith was. I think God wanted Abraham to know that he had that much faith in him. I think God wanted his son to know 
that he had that much faith. I think he wanted the father of many nations who just, gave, who just had a son who was about to be the father of many nations. I think he wanted him to start off his life knowing the power of faith in the biggest way possible. And this is the biggest way possible. So the angel says, don't, don't kill him. You've proven yourself. Don't kill him. And suddenly they see this, this ram trapped in the thorns by his horns. So think about this. This ram that was going to take the place of Isaac had a crown of thorns. It was wrapped around his horns. He sees a sacrifice that takes the place of his son. And that sacrifice comes with a crown of thorns. God, you see the picture that's being drawn here? This is so amazing, right? And God had Abraham sacrifice that instead. Now, listen to what the angel said after this happened, starting in verse 15. It says, Then the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this thing and have not withheld your son, your only son, and I will greatly bless you, and I will greatly multiply your seed as the stars of the heavens and as the sand which is on the seashore, and your seed shall possess the gate of their enemies." In your seed, all of the nations of the earth shall be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. So all nations of the world will be blessed. He's talking about through Christ who's going to come through that seed. But the angel also said something here that a lot of people miss. The angel actually identifies himself here. Did you know that? He identifies himself here. Okay? Because look at the, look at the use of these personal pronouns. I and my. Right? Look at the use of those. Right? Uh, because he said, by myself I have sworn, declares the Lord. Okay, throughout the Bible we see pre-incarnate looks of the future Jesus Christ. Jesus, before being man, appears several times in the Old Testament. And when he appears in the Old Testament, he's usually called the angel of the Lord. This was Jesus. This, this was Jesus who was speaking to him. Talking about substitutionary atonement basically this was jesus talking to him now we've seen that several times but we've also seen it in this same story we've seen this again all right because remember when the angel was speaking to hagar remember that listen to this uh genesis 16 9 and 10 it says then the angel of the lord said to her return to your mistress and submit yourself to her authority moreover the angel of the lord said to her i will greatly multiply your descendants so that they will be uh, so that they will be too many to count. Okay, angels don't have the ability to do the creative work of God. They're messengers. The word in Hebrew and Greek means messenger. They don't have the power to do this. No angel could say, I will. They wouldn't dare. No angel will say, because you listen to my voice. They wouldn't dare. You know who met her? Jesus. That was Jesus the pre-incarnate Jesus Christ that met with her. I think that's so powerful. And in this story, there are so many parallels that we've got to talk about. I wish I had more time. Uh, between Jesus and Isaac. Isaac was Abraham's beloved son. Right? Like Jesus was God's only beloved son. Isaac was meant to fulfill his father's plan. Jesus was sent to fulfill his father's plan. Isaac was volunteering, allowed himself to be sacrificed. Jesus 
allowed himself to be sacrificed. Isaac carried the wood that they would sacrifice him on up the hill. Jesus carried his own cross. You see all these, all these parallels? And there's so, so many more. God revealed the power he had to deliver his people after a three-day journey to that mountain. Jesus revealed his power to deliver people after being resurrected three days after he was crucified. Do you see all these parallels? It's just amazing. And the, the one that really gets me is Jesus was in his 30s. Most people like to say 33. We can't really prove that, but he was in his 30s. Isaac was in his 30s. I don't know if God could have painted a better picture of what was coming than what happened here in the subject of faith. I just think that is so powerful. This is some of the most beautiful imagery in the Bible of, of Jesus. I, just, I love this. Love the imagery of the, of the ram caught by his thorns. Now, now you can, after hearing this, you can see why Abraham uh, was one of the examples of faith that James wanted to mention, right? Remember, dead faith is a faith that is not accompanied by good works. Abraham started off by showing dead faith. This is a great way for James to reveal dead and alive faith to us in one person. Because Abraham's faith was dead when he tried to help God out by having a child by his handmaid, by Sarah's handmaid. Right? That was dead faith. That was faith that was not accompanied by the right works. Right? He was giving up on God, essentially, giving him a son. That was dead faith. But then he learned from that, and he had a live faith, so alive, that God said, go, and he went. And God said, kill your son, and he said, okay. And he believed that he would raise him from the dead. That's the perfect example of living faith. Now, and, and here's the thing. How living in dead faith act really hasn't changed since Abraham's time. Dead faith is still doing either nothing or opposite of what God asks you to do. And living faith is still doing what God asks uh, by believing his promises and knowing that he doesn't ask us to do anything that's not for our own good. All right, so this is a huge lesson. Now, next week we're going to look at the life of Rahab and see why she was a, uh, an example of living faith. I'm telling you now, the story of Rahab... Whew, I am so excited to preach that. That is equally as, as empowering, I think, as what we just studied. So I'm going to go ahead and close around. ask if you would please bow your head. If this is your first time. We always like to give an invitation, and I always keep it brief. But if you're not sure where you stand with Christ and you just want prayer, I don't ask people to come up front. This is between you and God. If you'd like us to pray for you, just make eye contact with me and put your head right back down. Bless those people. And I'm going to pray for you. I really Pray for those faces. Just make eye contact with me. Bless those people. If you're listening or watching online, God knows your heart. I'll be praying for you. But today, you know, like I say every week, I want to pray for believers. There's a purpose for us to fill, and I don't think we're filling it. Let's pray. God, I thank you so much for the love and mercy and kindness that you've shown us. I just, I thank you, God, that you made a way for us to have eternal life. I thank you that we didn't get what we deserve. We got your grace instead. Jesus came and took our place. We deserve death, but he took that death upon himself and defeated it. So that all we had to do was believe in what he did for our eternal life, and you promised we'd have it. I know there's so much religious jargon out there telling people all these recipes for salvation. God, clear that out of someone's mind if they're struggling today, and remind them that their only method of getting to heaven is just trusting what Jesus Christ did. Because there's no work we can offer God that's bigger than the work that Jesus offered. And we are so thankful. And if someone makes that decision, I pray they contact us. But God, for those of us who are believers, we exercise faith every day in all the wrong things. God, give us a passion like Abraham had. 
to listen for your words and to follow them, to always have hope in your promises, to know them so well we can share them. Just let us be an impact in the world we live in for Jesus. We just thank you, God, for all that you do. We ask you to go with us and keep us safe. Let us live what we profess. And if you don't return to take us home before we get the chance to meet again, let us come together and give you all the praise, honor, and glory. You're so worthy of it at least one more time. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.